It's also the hyphen director and probably pretty much anything else because uh, I know him and I know he's just got a heart for ministry. How about we make him feel welcome? Let's clap our hands. Let's invite Brother Sean right now to come and take his liberty in this place. Praise God. Let's give all that glory to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's the one. He's the one that makes all that possible. He's the one that makes a way when there is no way. Amen. Hallelujah. Without him, I am nothing. Amen. But with him, the Bible says nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. With him, when, even when I have my worst day, he says that his, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen. He is strong for me. He fills the gaps where I'm at. Amen. Hallelujah. He prepares those things before me to make sure, hallelujah, that I can walk in the way that he'd have me to walk. So it's all due to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And I thank God for the opportunity to be here once again. Uh, I love your pastor. Uh, him and I have gone back for for almost 10 years now. It's crazy to think about um, I am getting old. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, but it, it's it's been awesome. I'm so excited to see the church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There is something amazing that happens when hearts and souls hungry for God go and work in a place for the kingdom of God. God blesses that. I'm here to tell you, God blesses your efforts. You may not see it right now, but God blesses it. Amen. We always talk about in in Christianity in general about, oh, the the pastor or the preacher, and they have callings and they have uh, um, uh, direction by God, but there is such a need still for those that can get on their hands and knees and help paint and cut and put things up and build, and we need all of that. That is just as much as of ministry as anything else, and God desires to see people serve in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm excited. But Enough about all that. I am not going, I'm going to try to not be super long. In fact, I'm even going to set up a timer for myself. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm still going to let God have his way, but at least I can be a little more mindful of the time. Hallelujah. All right. I wonder if we can go to Judges chapter 3. Book of Judges, not the um, happiest of books. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Not the happiest of books to read, but it does have um, a lot of insight and information. And I truly believe, uh, even though Paul mainly mentions the murmuring, complaining while in Egypt, I also believe the book of Judges is written for our example to show us what not to do um, and the dangers of not following after the word of God. Praise the Lord. If we go to Judges chapter three and we'll begin with verse one. Say amen when you're there. Uh, Judges chapter three, verse one says, now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many as as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. 
Hallelujah. To speak in that a little bit more, this is talking about um, the designation of five uh, tribes, five people, uh, five groups that were set and, and allowed to be remain there by God to test and to teach the generations after the first generation that went to the promised land how to war and how to seek after the face of God. Today, I want to talk to you for a little bit about the art of war. Lord God, we thank you, we glorify you, we praise you, we magnify your holy and mighty name, God. You and you alone are worthy and deserving of all praise. You are mighty, you are able, you are great, and you are wonderful, God. We ask you to move upon us today. Lead and direct us, oh God. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Hallelujah. Open our spirits to be receptive to your moving and your working in this service today. God, move on me, cleanse me, set me forth for the work that you have me to do. I surrender myself to you, O God. Your will be done first and foremost, most of all, God. We thank you, O Lord, for all that you've done. We praise you for all that you're doing. And we, in hopeful expectation and thanksgiving, give you glory for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I wonder if we can clap our hands in the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So, um, and I've done this a few times. I, I really feel, it seems like every time I, I come here um, to your church, I do a lot more teaching necessarily than I do preaching, but that's okay. Amen? I feel that's kind of the thing that God has laid on my heart to teach. I love to teach. I love to, to help people grow and learn more about the Word of God. And there's so much depth in the Word of God. And if we just get a hold of it and we keep reading it, I'll tell you, you can read a chapter 1,500 times and you will receive something different out of it every time, something deeper out of it every time. Amen? So we get back, and this is the book of Judges. This is the first part of Judges. Judges kind of goes and in, in uh, starts out with a essentially a, a, a precursor, a, a prologue where... Th- the, the writer of Judges is talking about what all is going to happen. And in generality, summarizes the, the book of Judges and what occurs between the time of Joshua taking the children of Israel into the promised land and the establishment of Samuel and of the kings. And essentially it says this, they, the children of Israel went into the promised land and they, they, they were finally had a, a faithful generation that served under Joshua and served under God and went into the promised land ready to do the work that, that God had them to do. There were some hiccups there then and there, but for the most part, the children of the land were overcome and, and the children of Israel continued to fill more and more the promised land. But as we see close to the end of Joshua, in the beginning of Judges, there were still a remnant of the children of that land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, uh, all these other different people that were left there. And what makes it worse is it's not that they were just left there. The children of, of Israel decided to do one of three things with them. They either said, okay, well, it's too hard for us to take care of them on our own as our individual tribe. So we're just going to leave them where they are, where they have the ability to have the most uh, uh, effectiveness. And we're just going to leave them there. Uh, the other part was, is okay, well, you know what? 
we're just going to kind of intermingle with them. They're nice people. They're all good. It's not a big deal. We're just going to kind of hang out. We're going to hang out together. They do stuff for us. We do stuff for them. It's a partnership, right? It's great. It makes it easier for both of us, right? And the third one was, you know what? We are, are the children of Israel. God's on our side. We don't necessarily have to listen to what God says when he said to utterly annihilate everybody in there. Um, and we don't have to listen to the warning that was in Exodus and in, in 34 and 7 that says, hey, don't, don't ling- mingle with them because you're going to start building idols unto their gods and serving their gods and doing the things that are not pleasing to me. We, that's not going to happen. We're strong. We're the children of Israel. We're, we're 12 tribes booking forward, moving hard. And so we're going to put these people into tribute. There's just no need to waste these good, healthy people that can help bring water to us, that can help bring firewood and all these things. So we're going to put them to tribute. And, and you see in Exodus chapter 2 that after all these things were kind of done and talks about how this, this tribe wouldn't drive these people out. This tribe put these people to tribute. This tribe left these people in the mountains or in the valley. You see that the angel of the Lord comes and, and uh, judges 2 and 1 and says, look, did I not tell you to utterly drive them all out? Didn't I not expound to you and tell you with, with, with authority over and over again the necessity to rid yourselves from these people that will draw you into sin? You know what? Because you've become comfortable where you are and because you've allowed these things to linger in your life, I am not going to drive them out. And I truly believe what God was saying at that point was now you're comfortable. If I wouldn't have said anything, you would have never changed. But now I'm getting to a point for you to recognize where you're at versus where you should be. And I'm going to tell you right now, just because right now you want to be repentant and go after and kill everyone, I'm not going to allow you to do it. The choice has already been made. You've already made your choice. Now you have to suffer the consequences. I have two to three principles that I want to bring out, two main ones. And then as I was uh, worshiping today, I feel God kind of bring, brought me a third one. But the principle number one is we need to remove things from our lives uh, that God is weighing on us to remove uh, and remove all sinful things. Amen. And, and the, the first principle of, of our art of war, and I know there's a book called The Art of War by a, a famous, I think he was a, a Chinese uh, 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 warmonger or whatever, but this is not the art of war that we talk about. We're talking about the art of spiritual war, the art of, of, of war between God and his people and the enemy and his people and our flesh. Amen? And in this war, there are two main principles, one sub-principle. The first principle is that we just need to remove things from our life that God doesn't want there. We need to remove things that are sinful and the things that convict us. Amen. There are some things in our lives that are not a sin, but they are detrimental to our walk in God. Amen. There are people that have walked out of the darkness of this world, uh, uh, addicted to gambling and all these different things, and God delivered them. Those, a lot of those people will never touch a deck of cards in their life again, whether there's gambling or not. Why? Because they don't want that chain to take them back to the sin that they were at. Amen? 
Hallelujah. There are things in this world, places that some people won't go. It may be, may even be a, a children's place or, or like a Chuck E. Cheese or something like that, but they will not go there because something in their past, something in their experience, although that place inherently is not sinful, it draws them to have thoughts and actions that they don't want. But because they want to serve God, they make the choice and say, God, I'm removing everything according to your word. And God, I'm removing everything that would chain me back to the sin of my past because I want to walk in you. And I don't want the enemy to have an easy way to get in and bring me back to where I was before. Hallelujah. Remember, the children of Israel started off in this campaign beginning in the book of Exodus with being in Pharaoh's bondage. They were in Egypt, in a land that did not serve God. I'm sure that there was a bit of mingling that went on when they were comfortable before oppression started about the gods of Egypt, about the pharaohs and and all that stuff. They had intermingling, and I'm sure there was a little bit of Egypt that came with them. In fact, I can guarantee it because you see as they leave the the land of Egypt, and the first problem comes, oh, If we were to just have the grapes of Egypt. Oh, if we could just have the bread. Oh, if we could just go back to the place of bondage. Because it's easier to deal with than having faith that God's going to continue to deliver us. What a sad place to be. What a terrible place to be where you have more confidence in bondage than you do in God continuing to do the work that he's established in you. I want to tell you here and now, if God has started a work in you, and I'm going to say, if you want to know whether God started a work in you or not, the fact that you're here means God has started a work in you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. If God has started a work in you, he's going to be faithful to continue it until the end. The only thing that separates us from being able to meet the intents and desires that God has for us is our personal choices to draw to God. Praise God. Praise God. God. Hallelujah. But that's not the biggest point that the book of Judges, and I don't think I'm trying to make with this principle. Yes, it's important for your personal salvation to move out all those things and to get rid of those things. And it's, it's vital. I'm not trying to lower its importance. But I want us to understand what happens and who is being discussed mainly in the book of Judges. It is not the people that allowed the children of the land to stay with them. It is not the ones that put them under bondage. It is not the ones that left them to be wherever they be. It's not the ones that started the intermingling. It is the next generations. The things that you keep in your life now, you may be able to get to the pearly gates with some of those, th- some of those things, but you are going to affect the next generation. You are going to affect your children. It can affect your children's children. It can affect those farther down. There are long-standing repercussions for continuing to leave things in your life that don't need to be there. Amen? 
And I'm not talking about things that are sinful. We got to get rid of those, period. If, we, if we're not doing what God wants us to do, if we're not serving God and we're not continually living with a repentant heart, driving to seeking the face of God, we really don't have much of a chance. But I'm talking about those things that just are a struggle here and there. Those things are necessarily aren't sinful, but God has kind of dealt with those in the past four, and we've kind of justified for some reason keeping it there. It may affect you. You may miss out, but maybe at the end of your day, you may say, you know what? I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm pushing it away, and I'm going to live right for God. But that time that you spent dealing with those things that were a struggle for you but not a sin will affect the next generation. It says that the children of Israel, after Joshua left, after he had people, after he had, had strived and, and successfully ran a campaign and pushed the children of Israel to do what they needed to do to conquer the land, after he passed away and the judges that knew him passed away, the Bible says that the next generation came up, knew not God. They took the idols of the land. They took the children of Canaan and they mingled with them and became sons and daughters unto them. They worshiped other gods. They did wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Hallelujah. There are so many studies that talk about the effects of substance abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse in families and in homes. It does not stop with the generation that was affected. It continues on generation and generation. It may take different forms. In fact, there was a study that showed that children that were abused physically or domestically as, as children most of the time were about even with, with, uh, uh, didn't have any more instances of abuse to, to their children. However, there was an increase in neglect and in sexual abuse. It may not be the same sin that your generation, the next generation deals with, but it can take a different form and be the same issue. I'm here to tell you, I urge you as parents, as people that are reaching to the lost, and I'm not even talking about physical generations, even spiritual generations, people that you're discipling, people that you're leading to God, get rid of those things. Every chain, every weight, every issue, if it's in the word of God, if God's convicting your heart of it, remove it from yourself so that nobody else is affected by the actions that you're making. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But we find ourselves very similarly in the place that the children, the next generation of children of Israel found themselves. It wasn't necessarily their choice to be in that situation. There were choices that they made after they were in the situation that wasn't right with God, but they had a pretty poor starting point. Amen? The sin of Adam reigns throughout all human history. The carnal nature is without fail in every person and in every place. There's no way to escape the effects of it. There's no way to run away from what has occurred in the past. Those things are things that will continue to affect generation after generation until Jesus comes in the clouds and brings the people to him and we move on and move forward into the next part of the dispensation of the working of God. Hallelujah. Until the devil is put in his place in the lake of fire, there are still people that are going to be drawn of their lusts, of the carnal nature to do things that are wicked. And so God knew this. 
He was aware that the generation, this next generation, didn't choose to be where they were. They made poor choices, but they didn't really have the greatest examples. And so it says in, in, in Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, that God gave unto them to test them or prove them. And God gave unto them to teach them to war. These same people, he stirred them up. Those are the people he chose to stir up when the children of Israel sinned so that they could turn and try to figure out, hey, something's wrong here. I'm not, I'm not feeling comfortable. I'm not feeling good. There's something here. I identified a void within myself. There's something that's harming me and hurting me. I've got to find a solution to this. Hallelujah. He did this in the hope that the children of Israel would turn back to God and cry out to him and seek his face. And so that some out of the terrible situation they were in would be saved. Second Corinthians 10 verse three through five says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God did not leave us without an opportunity to overcome the sin of Adam. God did not leave us without any way to turn from the oppressive nature of sin and say there is a void that needs to be filled. God has given us an opportunity through his word and through the precious shed blood of that man and God, Jesus. Hallelujah. For us to have an opportunity to cry out when we are oppressed and to turn to the almighty God and say, God, I need you. Oh, teach me to war. Oh, I'm oppressed. Bring victory to my soul. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that the weapons of his warfare, hallelujah, are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm here to tell you, I don't care what addiction you have in your life, what situation is going on, what pain, what turmoil, what oppression there is. Oh, God has the power to break down every stronghold, tear apart every weight, cut every chain, Hallelujah. He is the God of victory, the God of liberty, the God that makes a way. Thank you, Jesus. So we find here that the war hasn't stopped, just taken a different form. Amen? The war that was in the children of Israel's time was mainly physical. There was spiritual aspects too. I'm not going to neglect that. But mainly what's discussed is more of the, of the physical and the actions that they took in the physical. But we find the underlying theme from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. And is that the spiritual sin is with us, but can be overcome by the power of God. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, we are not tempted above what we are able. We're not tempted above what is common unto man, but God has made a way of escape that we may be able 
to bear it. There's not, there's not a, a temptation that's out there that God will give us uh, that we won't be able to overcome if we are serving and seeking his face. Amen? If we're looking after God and we're, we have a repentant heart and we're seeking God's face and temptation, trials, whatever they may be, comes our way, we can know that God has already prepared a way for us to find victory, to learn the art of war in that situation, and to overcome it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, God gives us the armor to fight the enemy. He gives us the girdle or the belt of truth that wraps around us and, and holds us tight and holds us tightly to make sure that the rest of the armor doesn't fall off. He gives us a breastplate of righteousness, which is something that's not just for protection, but for ordination. In other words, something that everyone can see, something that is easy to be noticed. We are to be recognized as ones that are righteous, not not of ourselves, but because of the power of God that works in us. That breastplate protects us from the attacks of the enemy that would pierce into our heart, that would cut deep into our heart through offenses, temptations, and lust. We are, we are shotted or shielded with our feet with the gospel of peace. We are to take the witness of the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. It's, it's supposed to draw us to a place where we find peace as much as possible with all men and lead them to a place where they too can be saved. Hallelujah. Isaiah said, blessed are those feet of those that go and preach the gospel, speak the good news to the captive. Amen. It is a blessing to be able to do that. And that protects our feet so we can continue to walk forward in God. We have a shield of faith. So when we believe, it says you can block all the fiery darts of the enemy. When the devil tries to tempt us and bring doubt into our lives, bring situations to our minds, we can put up that shield and say, God's done it before. He's going to do it again. God's taken care of me when there was no way before, and he's going to do the same thing again. That faith will build and grow. You can lay hands on people and watch them be healed. Oh, hallelujah. You can speak to people and watch their lives be changed right in front of your face. Hallelujah. That seal of faith blocks those enemy darts. It can protect others as well as you cover it over. Hallelujah. These are the weapons that God has blessed us with for our warfare. These are the things that God has given us to be victorious over the enemy. But I'm not even done yet. Hallelujah. And our helmet on our head that protects our mind, our thoughts, our consciousness. We have the helmet of salvation. Hallelujah. The repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. Evidence by speaking in a different language as God directs, that leads us, directs us, protects protects us from all the advances, the doubting, hallelujah, temptations of the enemy. And we have the sword of the Spirit, hallelujah, which is the Word of God. Hallelujah. The sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. That, that, that wording and that phrasing is so important for us to understand because that is the weapon of our warfare that we use to knock down the attacks of our enemy. All these other things we block, protect, keep, 
help, show off, amen? Not from a prideful sense, but show off from a sense to know that we are of the children of God, amen? But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, this is what we use to take the attack to the enemy's camp. I've heard it preached before. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I, uh, uh, there was a, a preacher that truly believed and said, I think we've got this all wrong. It's not that the gates of hell are trying to open, but it's that we are knocking down the gates of hell. We are stomping on the gates of hell to drag as many people out from gold into hell as we can. The advance and the offense is us. Oh, the devil is on defense. He's the one fighting to keep the saints of God back. Hallelujah. We have to be mindful and deep within the word of God so we can use that sword to advance against the enemy that's attacking our family, our brothers, our sisters, our sons, our daughters, our great-grandchildren. Hallelujah. All these people, we go on the advance. Hallelujah. To attack, hallelujah, the enemy. This is the art of our warfare. Hallelujah. But I want us to understand something, and I think it's very well wrapped up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, praying always with, pray- with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints says, always pray, watching with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The, the gift that God has given us of the armor is not effective at all unless we put it on. We can leave the armor on display. We can make a nice little place for it. We can even set out a little back, back splash in the wall where we can, we can display it. Oh, good. Look at that. Mm. Look how pretty God made that. Isn't that so nice? That's just wonderful. You know, I, every time I come here to wash my hands or cook or clean or even open the refrigerator, I can just see it right there. Amen. Well, the devil is just having a heyday in your life. Amen. The armor is no good unless you put it on. Hallelujah. God expects us to use the tools that he gives us to fight the enemy. Amen? Hallelujah. So principle number two, principle number one was get rid of those things in your life that's going to lead you to sin. Principle two is we are at war with what, but God has given us the tools and armor needed to be victorious. Amen? Hallelujah. Principle number three is that we actually have to use it. Amen. Hallelujah. It's okay to recognize that we have to get rid of stuff. It's okay to recognize that we're prepared for the stuff that comes to us. But we also have to recognize that we've got to use it. We have to be active in the war. We can't just be sitting back and thinking that everything's going to be hunky-dory, bunkering down. God has not made us for a hiding church. He made us a victorious church that bangs on the gates of hell and says, Oh, we're going to be victorious in the name of Jesus. He 
It is not the expectation for a Christian to be just sinning, lingering with the same sin, the same issue over and over again and never get victory. That is not God's intent. It is not God's desire. God's desire is you overcome that, and then you overcome this, and then you overcome this, and pretty soon at the end of your days, you can be like Paul and say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge. They'll give me on that blessed day. Hallelujah. Woo. And not me only, but for all those that love is appearing. Hallelujah. The crown is for you. Oh, hallelujah. The victory is for you. We're almost there. We're almost there. Second Timothy 2 and 4. No man that warth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, uh, that he may please uh, him who hath chosen uh, him to be uh, a soldier. The Romans at this, uh, at this point uh, had an oath that they gave. It was called a sacramentum. It was an oath by the Roman soldiers to give their complete and utter fidelity or allegiance, everything they had to the emperor, the Caesar of the time, and to the commander that was over them. They were not of their own, but they were under the complete direction of the ones that were in lead of them militarily. If the, if the commander told them to kill, it didn't matter whether it was their brother, their sister, their son, their daughter, their children, their grandchildren. It didn't matter. They were to do what the commander told them to do. No questions asked. That doesn't work in our world, but it does work with God. I truly believe when Paul was speaking to Timothy and saying, be a good soldier, he was reflecting on what it took to be a soldier in Roman times. He was, a, he did have Roman citizenship. He would understand most of, more than, than most, what it took to be a Roman soldier, a legionnaire, the top brass, if you will, of the military of that time. They went and conquered most of the known world by their prowess and by their effectiveness. Amen. And it started with this oath. They couldn't even be put into service unless they made that oath. And then, and because of their citizenry, because of the honor that they had with who they came from being Roman citizens, it was completely unheard of for anyone to not give in obedience to this sacramentum. In fact, it was considered an honor to serve, an honor to defend the great Caesar and the Roman Empire. It was an honor to do that. People would come up, and in fact, they had to have criteria to push people away because they needed certain people, and there was enough people that came that wanted to be in the Roman military. I'm here to tell you we should consider it an honor to be in the army of the living God. We should consider it an honor to be called a Christian. But a Christian is not just Christian in name. It's Christian in work. We have a battle that we're fighting each and every day. The battle is not just for ourselves, but it's for everyone around us. Every co-worker, every neighbor, every spouse, every child, every grandparent, whoever it is that we come in contact with, we are fighting a battle on the battlefront between God and the devil, God and the flesh, hallelujah, to bring people to the precious realization that our God provides a way of escape from the sin and oppression of this world.
The Roman Empire, the Roman legionnaires could travel 20 days with full gear. And I'm here to tell you, this is leather, this is metal. These are, these are things are heavy. They're probably, probably close to 40 to 80 pounds, right, on top of their bodies. They could travel 20 miles a day. But that wasn't it. That's not the end. What they did after that was the impressive thing. After they got to the place where they needed to be, they dug at least a ditch, maybe two, and they built a fortification. They built a fort every day they moved. Every day they moved, they built a fortification around themselves to make sure they were protected by the enemy. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to put a bunch of sticks together. It was a well-designed, organized fort that they all participated in, and then they dug ditches around it to make sure that the enemy didn't have any easy opportunity to get to them. Hallelujah. Again, going back to the metaphor that Paul is speaking about being a good soldier, that he would understand, everyone at that time would understand the work that it would take to be a soldier of the Roman Empire. I'm here to tell you, it's not just about doing good on Sunday and then not doing anything on Monday through Saturday. No, it's every day. God, I'm a good soldier. God, I've got to walk 20 minutes in prayer today. God, I've got to build, oh, hallelujah, the fortification of the Word of God in my heart every day. God, I got to keep going. I got to keep pushing. I got to keep advancing because I'm not going to let the enemy have a foothold in my life. I'm not going to let them have an advantage. I'm going to keep moving forward so they can't know where I'm going. Hallelujah. We need to remain spiritually strong and resilient. The Romans would also separate themselves from all civilian life. The camp was not... You didn't have what we have a lot of days, a lot today, where the headquarters of of the 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 campaign was in a city or a, 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 a occupied um, land. So you wouldn't have a headquarters, for instance, in the United States uh, if you're going to go fight somewhere else. The Roman Empire they would take their people to where the battle was. They would set up headquarters and and lead all that charge and everything else where the battle was. That means that while they were in war, they were separated from anything else that would be back to the civilian life that they once lived. Amen? And they were indentured into service either until they died or the conflict was done. Amen? Hallelujah. If we're going to be a good soldier in war, which we are in, we don't have time to be sitting around and trying to do things that please us and do things that please God. I'm not talking about taking time for rest. Amen. I'm not talking about working or doing the things that you have to do to live a life. Amen. But I'm talking about if there is something that takes up more, if you've got to go see a UFC game and you have to miss service for that, you are not warring as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Amen? If you prioritize just about anything above doing what God is calling you to do and being in a place where you can hear from God, you are not doing it right. Amen? The Bible says that we are to be good soldiers, faithful soldiers. In fact, the verse before Timothy 2 and 4 says, endure hardship as a good soldier. Endure the trials, the tribulation, the persecution that comes from being a warrior for the Almighty God. 
War is not easy, but it is for a purpose. James 1, 2, and 4, and I'm about to close. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hallelujah. We can spend our lives trying to explain away why we're at where we're at. We can spend our entire lives trying to look at ourselves and say, woe is me. I can't believe that I was put here. All these things that have happened in my past and my family, they led me here. There's no way that I can get over this. We can spend all our lives doing that. But God says, instead of focusing on how you got there, praise God that you had afflictions and trials and and issues and temptations that drew you to where you are now. I had put those things, allowed those things to incur incur in your life, to teach you how to war, to teach you to turn to me, to teach you to have faith. There was a void in your life that you recognized because of the oppression that was upon you, these tests in these trials. They weren't to harm you, but they were to lead you to a blessedness that is in me. Hallelujah. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in the trial. Don't get weary in the affliction because if you're turning towards Jesus, God is going to work it out for your good, for completeness. Hallelujah. For perfection. Hallelujah. To be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. We've got to turn to Jesus and all of our trials. And as I was sitting here and, and, and just reflecting on God and worshiping, I, and even as I was driving here, I feel that there are some people here that have a burden, heavy burden, heavy issues that are going on in their lives. Hallelujah. Maybe it's gotten you to the point where you've, you've just gotten so frustrated and you just don't even understand why anymore. I'm here to tell you, keep turning to Jesus. Keep letting him have it. Keep giving it to him. Keep thanking him for for the opportunity to have one more time that you can ask for his assistance. One more time where you can watch your needs be met right in front of your eyes. One more time where you can build on your faith and to to have something that pushes you into the word of God. Hallelujah. God will always be faithful. The Navy SEALs are a top-tier, very formidable foe, not just within our military, but within the world. And one of the things that makes the Navy SEALs so effective is the brotherhood that they establish as they go through their camps and their training and all that stuff. It, it is very highly regarded that you take care of your military brothers. They are brothers, by all intents and purposes, they hold each other accountable. They hold each other together. They don't leave without one another. They fight and they have that mental state that if my brother's not there with me, I've got to go get him and bring him. Hallelujah. When we are a team, when we are not working as individuals, then and only then do we truly become effective in the kingdom of God. There's a reason why all Christians are of the body of Christ. 
Because we're supposed to be unified for one cause. We're not supposed to be all striving to be the eye or not being of the toe or whatever. We, we might not be, we must not be so ashamed of where we're at or how we fit into the body of Christ, but no, we're to be unified. I'm here to tell you one thing that could stop you from getting true victory is not reaching out and holding the hand of your brother or sister is not spending time reaching out to the pastor and talking to him about the needs that you have in your life. We need each other. That's why God has drawn us to assemble together. That's why he's told us to pray for one another. That's why he told us to confess our faults one to another. Amen. Not to spread your stuff around everywhere, but to find one or two people that you can be honest with and tell them what you need them to pray for. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We are in a war, hallelujah. But with God, we will be victorious. These altars are open. I ask that all that are able to come and to seek the face of God, prepare yourself. Take the time now. The Spirit of the Lord is moving and working in this place. Take the time now to strengthen yourself for the afflictions, the persecutions, and the battles that are ahead. Take the time now to get where you need to get with God. If you've all identify that there's a void in your heart, a void in your soul, something that God needs to fill. Recognize that right now and seek the face of God. God did not leave you without opportunity to be saved, to be right with him in the situation that you're in. So grateful for his blood. Hallelujah. But he gave you weapons of warfare. He's allowed you to learn through the word of God and through your own trials the art of the spiritual warfare. And he's calling you to continue. Keep pursuing after the almighty God. Keep seeking his precious face. Because he wants to give you victory in every situation. He wants to deliver you from every addiction, every trial, every temptation. He wants to see you in heavenly places. He saved.